All right, so <clears throat> what is it? So the 20 of us, the 10 of us, how are we in here? Grab your programs and uh, open them up to the outline there. People have been asking me all morning, how you doing, Pastor Jerry? How you doing? And rather than just say, great, I'm fine, I'm happy, like usually I am, I said, I'm all right, we'll get through this. And they're like, really, you're, all, you're okay? I said, man, I said, to make matters work, I've got to talk about one of the subjects that I'm horrible in. Um, so Nancy, when I told Nancy what I was going to be speaking on, she just kind of chuckled. She said, how could it get any worse for you? I said, exactly, right? Because we're going to talk about gentleness uh, today. Um, we're in a series, we're in week three of our series on, that I'm calling Real Happiness. We're looking at the, the eight Beatitudes of Jesus from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going verse by verse. And I told you the last couple of weeks that the word blessed and the word, word happy are the same word in the Greek, same Greek word. So when Jesus says, when he talks about, hey, you'll be blessed if you do this, what he's really saying is you'll be happy if you'll do this because happiness and blessing are the same exact word. The Sermon on the Mount was so popular that Jesus' followers clicked their pens and they started taking notes right away. Right at the beginning, they started writing down these eight things, eight ways to be happy. God wants to bless our lives. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. The problem when we read the Bible isn't that God doesn't want to bless our lives. The problem's not with him. The problem's with us. We have to get blessable. A lot of us don't live lives in a way that God can bless. God isn't going to bless selfishness. He's not going to bless sin. He's not going to bless arrogance. So when Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount, he starts with eight ways to be happy or eight ways to get God's blessing in your life. And the third beatitude on your outline at the top there is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And it says, blessed or happy are the meek or gentle. For they will inherit the earth. Now, when you read that verse, the first time, happy are the meek, happy are the gentle, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. It's almost like an outlandish statement, an extravagant statement. Are you kidding me? The whole earth is going to belong to someone who is gentle, who is meek? Do I really believe that? I'd say that I wouldn't believe it except for the fact that Jesus said it. And Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I teach the truth, or I bring the truth, or I, I tell you the truth, or have the truth. He says, I am the truth. And if Jesus says that God blesses those who are gentle, and that they will inherit the whole earth and belongs to them, then guess what? I believe whatever Jesus says. I've told you before, I'm going to go with whatever the guy who rose from the dead and never died again says whatever jesus says i've decided i believe that i don't understand it all the time but i believe it so he says that somehow locked up in this third key of blessing is the key that when we learn what it means to be gentle that the world is yours that the world is your apple the world is your oyster the world is you're in charge it's not driving you you're driving it now i told you that this one's a hard one for me because by nature, when I'm in the flesh, by my natural makeup, the way God made me, I am not gentle. It is an internationally known fact that Pastor Jerry Walsh is not gentle. All over, <laughs> well, the first time Nancy and I went to 
Europe. We were actually going to Rome. We flew all night. We are going to get on a cruise ship and uh, go to the Holy Land. We visited Israel and Africa and Turkey. Um, but on our way there, that first night we were flying, we flew all night, and we had to change planes in Lisbon, Portugal. First time I ever stepped foot in Europe was in Lisbon, their airport. And it was late. It was late at night, middle of the night. And in the Lisbon airport underneath, when I rounded the corner for customs, there was like 5,000 people in line. But they had all three, line, all three lanes open. And we waited and we waited and we waited like 90 minutes. Our 90-minute layover, which should have been plenty of time to get your, your plane, just dwindled and dwindled. And I started realizing, we're going to miss our plane. We're going to miss our connection. They actually moved us to the head of the line. They said, okay, um, you're, you're good to go. Go find, you're in gate whatever. They told me the gate. But the Lisbon Airport is like bigger than the, the Millennial Mall. I mean, it's huge. We come up off an escalator, and it's nice. And I don't know where to go. The signs weren't very clear. So I find that I see this guy up ahead, and he's like a, an airport official. He's, he's got a tie on. He's kind of dressed up. He's holding a clipboard. He's talking to this nicely uh, dressed woman who is there. And we're running through the airport. I mean, we're late. I'm like doing O.J. Simpson through the airport, like the old O.J. with Hertz, not the white Bronco O.J. that went really, really slow. And we're, we're flying through the airport. I run up to this guy, and I'm asking where our gate is, you know. And I am intense, and I am intent, and I am... I am out of breath, and I'm like, where's our plane, right? Then stop the plane. And um, he looks at me, and he says, sir, next time be gentle. And I about lose it, right? Next time be gentle. What does he mean by that? So ever since then, it's been about 10 years now, eight years or so, um, whenever I get a little hot under the collar, Nancy turns to me and says, sir, next time be gentle. Um, she thinks it's really funny. Um, look, I'm Irish. I'm intense. I'm passionate. At my worst, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. At my worst, I can be a big jerk. Um, I'm harsh. I can be rude. I can be all of that. Other people get to say, you know, our pastor, he's just so godly. You get to say, oh, well, our pastor's a jerk. He can be a jerk. Um, sometimes I don't know whether to say sorry about that or hey you're welcome you're welcome um, for that God has worked on this in my life he continues to work on my gentleness and not being a jerk what he does right now what he's been doing recently he's, he's been putting people in front of me I somehow make it to where I'm the second person at a light that's about to turn left you know what I'm about to say? And the person in front of me is one of these Facebook fiends. They're, or I, they're, they're, like, they're on their phone, and the arrow turns green, and I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go, you know. And my hand is, is like hovering over the horn. How long are you supposed to wait, by the way? It's like one, one thousand, two, one thousand. You know, is it one Mississippi, two and, and, and some people will go all the way through till it turns yellow, and then they'll try to get through that light, right? And, and that... Uh, that does not bring the gentleness out of me. God's working on me with that. Because in our hard-driving, ego-driven, market-driven, profit-driven culture, you don't hear a lot of talk about gentleness. And the reason why is we don't understand what it means to be really, what it really means to be gentle. 
we think that gentleness equals weakness in our culture. But actually, the gentle people are the strongest people on the planet. The earth is theirs, according to your Savior. It's the weak people who are arrogant. It's the weak people who are pushy. It's the weak people who are rude and prideful. It's the weak people who are mean. Those are weak people. He said, truly, the truly strong people are gentle. And the world will be theirs. Let me give you a true definition of gentleness. Will you fill this in? Gentleness is strength under control. Strength under, under control. A gentle person doesn't overreact. I told you I'm an overreactor. A gentle person is not driven by their own emotions. A gentle person is not somebody who is moody all the time. Not somebody who will just fly off the handle. A gentle person is strength under control. The Greek word for this, word gentleness, parautus, is the word that means strength under control. And it describes, in the Bible, it describes the same word as used to, to reference a wild stallion. That kind of strength. That when you are able to take a wild stallion and you're able to tame it and you're able to saddle it and you're able to then use that strength under the master's control, that's what this is a picture of. Because if you take a stallion, it's, it's just as fast and just as strong when you break it and tame it than it is when it's in the wild. That's what it uses this word proud to as a horse, a meek or a gentle horse. Same amount of strength, same amount of speed, same amount of power. It's just under control. When you and I learn to be gentle, a gentle man of God or a gentle woman of God, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean, it just means you don't overreact. It means you're in control of your emotions. You have strength under control. So today I want to look at the strength of gentleness. If you've got your outline there, I'm going to give you the eight, um, I'm sorry, the six benefits of gentleness from this third out of the eight Beatitudes. The Bible says there's at least six benefits. And then I'm going to give you three ways this week that you can start working on this character trait, this really fruit of the spirit of gentleness in your life. So number one, if you'll, if you'll jot this down, the number one benefit of our life is gentleness diffuses conflict. Gentleness diffuses conflict. It de-escalates anger. It curbs anger. It diffuses the time bomb in any relationship that's about to explode. Gentleness is the antidote to anger. Don't take my word for this. Look what it says in Proverbs 15.1. It says a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it is a human tendency to kind of mirror or reflect whatever the person is feeling in front of us. For instance, if somebody gets angry, we get angry back. If somebody gets mad, we get mad back. If somebody gets upset, we get upset. If somebody is depressed and we hang around them long enough, then we start to feel that way ourselves. On the other hand, if somebody's energetic and they're enthusiastic, energy and enthusiasm is also contagious, and we get we get energetic. We get pumped up. That's part of how God has wired us. The Bible says a gentle answer deflects anger, but a harsh, harsh words make tempers flare. 
So let me give us a little tip that will help us. It will save us a lot of problems and a lot of heart, conflict and a lot of headaches in life. When other people raise their voice, we've got to learn to lower our voice. A simple tip will save you an enormous amount of conflict in marriage, in, in friendships, in parenting, at work. When other people raise their voice, we need to learn to lower our voice. When they raise the temperature, we've got to lower the temperature in the room. What happens is usually somebody raises their voice, then we raise our voice, then they raise their voice, and then we raise our voice. And by, by then we have lost control of our emotions, and a, and a full-blown brawl, verbal brawl, is about to break out. Strength under control, gentleness means when they raise their voice, when they raise their emotions, we lower our voice. We lower our emotions. That's not easy. The natural tendency is to reflect or to mimic what's in front of you. It takes strength under control, gentleness, to diffuse the anger. Second thing, this is a big one I want you to write down. Gentleness also disarms critics. It disarms critics. The more successful we are in life, the more critics we're going to have in life. If, if we don't do anything with our life, nobody will probably criticize us. The only way to not be criticized in life is to do nothing, say nothing, be nothing, stand for nothing. But if we actually stand for something, we're going to be criticized. And the more successful we are, the more we're going to be criticized in life. So how do you handle the critics of life? The people who gossip about you at school. The people who gossip about you at work, who say bad things about you in your neighborhood or in your family. The people who malign you. Here's the point. When we respond to, with gentleness, it disarms the, the critics. Why? Because it disappoints them. It robs them from from what they're trying to do, which is they're trying to bait you into reacting. They're trying to get you to lose your temper. They expect you to get mad back. You get on Facebook and people will make comments, snarky comments under your, under your posts, and your temptation is to fire off and you snark right back or you, you one-up them kind of a thing. And when you do that, they're like, hook them. Uh, now I'm reeling you in. That's why they call it trolling. They feel good because they've initiated, they've got you to, to initiate the fight. Normal people don't love a fight. There are some people in your life, you probably know who they are, they love to argue and they love to fight. Normal people don't love to argue and don't love to fight, but some people do. And they're trying to hook you. So what do you do in those situations? Look at 1 Corinthians 4.13 says, We appeal gently. When evil things are said about us. Paul says we respond gently even when evil things are said about us. So we need to start praying to God. God, please give me tough skin. Lord, give me tough skin and help those things to roll off my back. Because if you don't pray for and develop tough skin, you'll end up with a tough heart. We don't want a tough heart. We want a tender heart. We need to pray. God, give me a tender heart and tough skin. Help me to be gentle with people even when they say purposely harsh things or critical things about me. 
So gentleness diffuses conflict. It disarms critics. Here's, a, here's an important one. Number three, gentleness is persuasive. Persuasive. When you want to persuade somebody, when you want to influence. Persuasion is influence. When you want to influence somebody. In fact, the Bible says in the message paraphrase, look at this. It says, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. You want to convince your husband of something? You want to convince your wife of something? You want to have influence in your teenagers' lives? You want to convince your parents of something? Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. I love the New Century version of this verse. It says a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Man, if you're a parent and you've got some hard-headed teenagers, if you're married to someone who's hard-headed, if you've got a hard-headed boss, if you've got people in your company who are hard-headed, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. By the way, when you're, if those of us who are parents, if you're watching and you've got kids, look, we should never discipline our children in anger. We should never discipline our children out of frustration. We should only discipline our children out of love and gentleness. Because screaming never works. Yelling does not work in the long run. All it does is create fear and resentment in the hearts of the child that we're screaming at. They get defensive. Everybody gets defensive when you yell at them. So if I want to persuade you to live more like Jesus as your pastor, then I've got to do it in a gentle way. I've got to present it in a way that's not condemning, that's not loud and judging. I could stand up here every Sunday and say, let me just tell you everything that's wrong with you. Let me just tell you all the things you're doing wrong. Let me just tell you what no good lousy reprobates you are. What would you do? You'd build up walls of defense. You'd say, but yeah, but, yeah, but what about you? And you'd, you'd be like, forget it, Pastor Jerry. Forget you. You'd probably start, stop coming eventually. You wouldn't get up and say, well, you know, let's go to Seminole Church and have Pastor Jerry tell us what bad people we are. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work for life change long term. It doesn't work in church. It doesn't work in, the house, in your house. It doesn't work in, in the business world. It doesn't work. Nagging never works. Proverbs sixteen twenty one says, The wise, circle the wise, the wise are known for their understanding, and pleasant words are persuasive. I want you to circle two more words. I want you to circle pleasant and persuasive, and I want to draw, draw a line between those two circles. Circle pleasant, circle persuasive, and make you, if you make the line down, you can almost curve it, make it a smiley face. Because if you want to be persuasive, if you want people to be persuaded to your idea or to your product or to your service or to your faith or anything else, then you've got to be pleasant. The more pleasant you are with your words, the more persuasive it is. A mark of maturity, wisdom equals maturity, wise, mature people are pleasant. All through the Proverbs, it talks about the fool. The fool, are, they're rude, they're, they're crass, they're crude, they're not pleasant. They're unpleasant. They speak in crude, rude, crude ways. The more mature you are, the more wise you are, the more wise we are, the more pleasant we will be in our speech. If our speech is negative, 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 guess what? 
We're not as wise as we think we are. We're not that smart. And we certainly aren't mature. Because the wiser and the more mature we are, the more pleasant our words are going to be. Write this down. I say this all the time, especially when we teach on marriage. It's one of the things on conflict. Um, I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. should have that memorized by now. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. When we're abrasive and we use abrasive language, we self-defeat ourselves. Because all of the things we want don't ever happen because we're being abrasive rather than persuasive. We don't have influence in people's life. Gentleness is persuasive. All right, number four. This is a, another big one. Particularly if you are married or if you're looking for a husband or a wife to someday hope to be married, this is a big one. Gentleness communicates love. We fill that in. Gentleness communicates love. It diffuses conflict, it disarms critics, it's persuasive, and gentleness communicates love. Guys, those of us who are husbands, the number one thing or the quickest way that you can improve your marriage this week, the quickest way for you to improve your marriage is to start talking to your wife gently. Start talking to your wife more gently. It will do wonders if you will begin to talk to your wife in a more gentle way, more gentle tone. Don't take my words for this. Listen, the Apostle Paul, this applies to both genders, but the Apostle Paul, he singles out men, husbands. Look what he says. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. One of the things that bothers me the most about myself is I talk the harshest to the people in my life that I say I love the most, the people who I'm closest to. In life, why is that? Why is it that I will talk harsher to Nancy? I have a harsher tone, a less gentle tone with her or my kids than I will a random stranger. Oh no, you first. Yes, you know, I'll be nice to someone I'll never see again. Yet I'll be harsh with the people who are the closest to me. Why is that? Because it takes a lot of effort to be gentle. Any fool can be selfish. Any fool can be rough. Any fool can be rude. But a gentleman, a gentleman, this is not only true in marriage, it's true in other areas as well. Listen, a marriage is just simply the union of two very good forgivers, two great forgivers. That's what makes a great marriage. Because you're going to hurt each other in a marriage a lot in life. I've been married to Nancy now for almost 34 years. No doubt in my mind, I have hurt her more than probably anybody else on the planet. And for sure, she's hurt me more than anybody else on the planet. But you know what? We're both great forgivers. We forgive each other. That's part of gentleness. It's not only a key in effective marriages. Gentleness is a key in effective parenting. Never discipline, like I said, out of anger or frustration. Pastor Rich and I need to do a, another series on parenting. We haven't done that in a couple of years. Man, after hanging around with a lot of teenagers and all these little kids, we really need to do another series on parenting, let me tell you. All right, next one's an important one. Gentleness earns respect. Gentleness, you want respect from people? Learn to be gentle. I don't want to leave the men. Uh, we picked on the men there with Apostle Paul's verse. Look what Proverbs says to women, you women. 
A gracious woman gains respect. Now, this applies to both genders just like the other one. It's true of men, too. But when I think of that verse, a a woman of grace, a gracious woman, you know who I think of? I think of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was little. She's like barely five feet tall, quite frail, quite small, slightly built. I mean, she was, she was even diminutive, little Albanian nun, yet she could walk into the halls of the United States Congress and put the fear of God in all of the power mongers in Washington, couldn't she? Why? Because gentleness earned respect. She earned that respect. Her self-serving, selfless, gentle, serving spirit in the slums of Calcutta earned her the respect all around the world. Gentleness is a prerequisite for leadership. If I want to be an a leader in any area of life. You want to be a leader in church, in business, in school, in commerce. If we want to be a leader, we're going to have to learn to be gentle. Because the greatest leaders of all time have all been gentle leaders. Jesus is the supreme example of this. Gentleness earns respect, and the more gentle we are, the more respect we earn in being a leader. One of the greatest leaders in the whole Bible, probably the greatest leader in the whole Bible, was Moses. Moses, you remember, liberated the Hebrews from Egyptian captivity. They had been slaves for 400 years. Moses goes and he stands before the most powerful person on the planet at the time. And he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, Moses didn't have an army. Moses didn't have some kind of leverage or some kind of influence. Moses, all he had was God on his side, and God was enough. And he goes and he was, he was fearless. He was able to speak truth to the powerful. In the Bible, in the entire Bible, there's only two people that are called meek or gentle. Only two people. You know who they are? Moses and Jesus. Now, neither one of them were, were weak. Jesus was strength. He was strength under control. He, he could turn tables over. He could kick the, the money changers out of the the temple when he needed to, he had no problem being strong. He was strengthened under control. The amazing thing is Moses is the only other person to ever be called gentle or meek. Yet, do you know what Moses' persistent or besetting sin was for his whole life? Moses had a problem with anger control. Anger management was his problem his whole life. And it haunted him his whole life. When he was 40 years old, he got so angry, he killed the Egyptian. Slave master. When he was 80 years old, he comes walking down with the Ten Commandments in his hand. He sees the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. He gets angry and he throws the Ten Commandments down, the tablets down, and breaks them. Oh, no. Later, he gets so angry at the children of Israel, God says to touch the rock with the staff. And he, he smacks, he strikes the rock with the staff. In fact, it was Moses' anger and disobedience about his anger. That caused him to miss being able to go into the promised land. He had a lifelong problem with anger. So how does the guy with the lifelong problem of anger end up being the only other guy in the Bible that's called gentle? 
Here's the reason, and this should be an encouragement to those of us who struggle with anger management. Moses was teachable. And when people sat down and spoke to Moses and said, Moses, next time be gentle. He didn't blow up at them. He listened. He worked on it. He didn't get angry back at them. Instead, you know, when, when someone comes to you and they say, hey, you know, you're, you're hot under the collar. Oh, man, they, you don't want to say that to somebody who's hot under the collar. They, they freak out. But he, if, if we struggle with our temper, it's really not a temper issue. It's a hard issue. We have to humbly listen and respond with gentleness when people, when people confront us, when people talk about it. Moses was meek because he was teachable. He was willing to not blow up again, but to start working on it. That brings us to number six, which is the most important reason. I saved it for last because of this. And this is where the real key is to finding gentleness in our hearts. Which, by the way, will bring us God's blessing and happiness. Gentleness makes me more like Jesus. Would you fill that in? This is the biggest one of all. Matthew 11 says, if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to learn gentleness. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Then Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That's all of us. We are all weary and tired and carrying a heavy, heavy load. And he says, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say I'll give you more work. He doesn't say I'll give you something to organize your time. He doesn't say I'll give you a book. He says, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. Jesus wants to teach you how to be humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the number one question, the question number one is, does this mean if I want to be, if I want to be like Jesus, I've got to learn to be gentle? Absolutely. And question number two is, is it possible that the stress you're feeling, the burden you're carrying, the pressure you feel in your life, Is it possible that that is because you're not gentle? You haven't learned from Jesus yet how to be humble and gentle. Yes. Because the Bible says the more gentle you become, the more like Christ you become. And the more at peace we will become. And we will become more and more at rest in our soul. Less stress in our soul. The reason why you're stressed out all the time, the reason why you're tired all the time, the reason why you feel pressured all the time, you're not gentle. We haven't learned gentleness. He says, I'm gentle, and if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest, and I'll give you peace, and there will be no more stress and no more pressure in your soul. And we would all say, I want that. Jesus, I want that peace. I want to be like you, Jesus. So... I'm just going to go out tomorrow and I'm going to be, I'm going to force myself to be gentle. I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm going to say, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm just going to force myself. No, no, no. You can't force yourself to be gentle. You can't fake gentleness. It, it, you can't manipulate gentleness inside. 
You can't manufacture gentleness. It's an in the heart, an inside job. God has to produce gentleness in us. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. We talked about in, in Cultivate a while back, a couple of years ago. We studied the fruits of the Spirit. We talked about how God has to build the fruits of the Spirit in your heart. The Holy Spirit has to do that. One of the nine fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. You can't fake gentleness. You can't manufacture gentleness. You can't manipulate gentleness. It has to happen inside of you. Or you're still going to be under stress. It's something that God does. So there's a prayer I pray. There's some things that we can do. We're going to talk about those right now. But there's a prayer that I pray that I encourage you to pray. And that when you're going to be encountering people, whether it's your family, your friends, your schoolmates, your, your company, your clients, your church member, your friends, whoever, you pray this prayer. You say, Lord, help me to see people the way Jesus sees people and help me to treat people the way Jesus treats people. Help me to see and treat people the way Jesus does. That's the prayer. Why? Because I'm not a gentle person by nature. And neither are you. You don't have to be Irish. You're not, gen- you're not gentle either by nature. You have to learn it. It's something that Jesus has to teach us. It's something the Holy Spirit has to develop and produce in our life. God, help me to treat everybody the way Jesus treats them, to see everybody the way Jesus sees them. Sees them. Not rude, not crude, not uncivil, but in all of those ways. So let me... Wrap this up. What are some practical things that we can do this week? Let me give you some practical things. Three statements that I want you to jot down that we can start to do this week. And you're going to need to pray to God for help with all three of these. Because in our own flesh, this is difficult. It's only as the Spirit works in us that we're able to accomplish this. Next week, when somebody serves me, I will be understanding, not demanding. Now, you're going to have a lot of chances to deal with this because right now, service is at an all-time low in our society. So that waitress, that checkout person, that person that's doing something for you, they're all new. They're all just learning. Some of them don't care like they should care. And you're going to have a chance when someone is serving me to be understanding, not demanding. And I'm telling you, you will see people go crazy right now because the rest of society, our culture, is the most demanding it's ever been. Post-pandemic, people have a short fuse. People are ready to to freak out. You know, I I read a story about somebody got shot over a McDonald's order at the drive-thru. They got the order wrong. So a guy pulled out a gun and shot somebody. He came over a hamburger or pickles or something. That's kind of where we're at in society right now. So... Listen, that little girl you're about to yell at, that 16-year-old you're about to scream at because she got your order on, that's one of the teenagers we're trying to get to come to camp with us so she can meet Jesus. So please don't let them know you're a Christian if you're going to act like that. Definitely don't let them know you go here if you're going to act like that. we got to be understanding, not demanding. Second thing, you'll get a chance for this too. When somebody disagrees with me this week, help me to be tender without surrender. There will be people in your own family that will disagree with you this week. There will be a lot of your friends that will disagree with you on Facebook this week. I promise you that. We've got to learn to be tender without surrender. You don't have to give up your 
belief system. You don't have to accept everything they say as what you believe, but you also don't have to get in an argument from all the rest of us that are watching you lose it on social media. Number three, when somebody disappoints you, you're going to be disappointed this week too, by the way. People are going to let you down. It might not even be your pastor who lets you down or someone at church that lets you down. When somebody disappoints me, I'm going to be gentle, not judgmental. Now, these are three things that I can be praying for this week. When someone serves me, Lord, help me to be understanding. When someone disagrees with me this week, help me to be tender. Or when somebody disappoints me, help me to be gentle. If you want to be blessed, if you want to have happiness, in your, if you want to have real happiness, then we're going to have to learn this third beatitude. God blesses those, happier those who are gentle. The whole world will belong to them. Why does the whole world belong? They don't overreact. They're not out of control. They have gentleness, strength under control. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us with this right now? In fact, while I pray, why don't you pray some of these words in your own mind as well? Would you just pray this in your heart? Just admit it and say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm not a gentle person. Just go ahead and confess it. Say, By nature, Lord, I'm not gentle. I'm just like Jerry. I'm just like everybody else. I need your spirit of power and love and self-control. So this week, Lord, when people serve me, help me to be understanding, not demanding. Can you make that your prayer? Help me to be understanding, not demanding. And this week, Lord, when people disagree with me, help me to be tender without surrender. And Father, this week when people disappoint me, help me to be gentle, not judgmental. Jesus, I want to be like you. Will you make that your prayer? Lord, I want to be like you. I want to have a gentle answer that turns away anger, not stirs it up. And help me to lower my voice when everybody else raises their voice. Lord, when evil things are said about me, help me to respond like Paul did, gently, to disarm my critics. And when people are headstrong and I'm trying to persuade them, I'm trying to have influence, Lord, help me to remember that I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. That the more pleasant my words are, the more influence and persuasive I'll be. To those that I love in my life, the closest ones, Lord, help me to be gentle with them. You said gentleness earns respect. So, Lord, I want to be a gentle leader. I want to be respected. I want to be meek like Moses and like Jesus, strength under control. And most of all, Jesus, you promised that if I'd come to you to team up with you, to yoke with you, because you're gentle and you're humble, that I would find rest for my soul. Please teach me how to be humble and gentle. Please replace replace the stress in my life with your gentleness. I want the fruit of my the fruit of the spirit in my life, in my heart, to grow. If you've never invited Jesus in your heart, why don't you just say, Jesus, please put your spirit 
in me beginning today. I want to follow you and I want to love you and I want to learn to trust you the rest of my life. I give my life to you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. It's Mel. Thanks for taking part in our worship service today. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.